lady. Sarah, I come to beg you to confess all and swear allegiance to the king that he might show your mercy. Will you show mercy to my country? Mercy is to die quickly. Perhaps even live in a tower. In time, who knows what can happen. If you can only live. If I swear to him that all that I am is dead already, It will be awful. Every man dies. Not every man really lives. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Are you telling me that you built a time machine? What about the warrior? The Statue of Liberty is kaput. It's concerning. Take your sticky paws off me. Damn, dirty ape. Welcome, welcome to Cine Siblings Podcast. The podcast where two brothers have an in-depth discussion about film. I'm Ian. And I'm James. Well, Jamie, we made it to part two of our deep dive into Braveheart. Pick us up right where we left off with the Battle of Falkirk. Well, the aftermath of the Battle of Falkirk. So we have... We, we get the tending to the wounded after the Battle of Falkirk. And Hamish and his father have this really sweet moment as his father fades away. And, and kind of tells him how proud of, like, how much, how proud he is of the man that Hamish has become. Right. And Hamish is not, a, he's kind of a static character in this and, and really characterized by his loyalty. Right. And he's one of those, like, really, really strong characters. And he's kind of funny. Um, it, it like we, we see that he's got these Very, nice little one liners and we see it like in the, the, uh, Beowulf, uh, you know, the, the CGI thing, but it's kind of like they, they've used all the capture yeah. motion stuff and he's got, you know, the, these, these one liners that really kind of endear him to the audience. Um, but like here, you know, we see that he is a, just like Steven is not like just this comic relief character. He has a serious side to him. Um, you know, Hamish is, is, we see that he mourns, he, he's crying. Yeah, uh, and really, this moment really humanizes him from the, like, oozing machismo character that he has been presented to us as. And I think he's, Hamish, when I was a kid, when I first watched it, he was my favorite. And just Brendan Gleeson is, we talked about it earlier, he's super likable in everything that we, all his popular films, at least. And, uh, I'm, I can't wait to see him be unlikable as Donald Trump in uh, the Comey rule, which is a little mini series. I'm coming just hearing up. about this. So yeah, it's a, it's going to be a mini series. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, so, I'll, I'll probably watch because of Brendan Gleeson, but right. We'll see. Uh, all right. So now we get Robert the Bruce as he wanders among the death and, you know, and realizes so, what, what he has cost his Scottish uh, brethren. Right. So, with with your your hero's journey sort of thing, you you have this motif of of the t- descent into hell, and because we're we're following Bruce as the potential hero in this film, he's not the hero. This is not his journey. This is the journey of William Wallace. But 
this is like I said earlier, it's his origin and William Wallace's story journey. Right. But this, I think, is is one of those things of the descent into hell. The, the dead are everywhere. The blood is everywhere. This is and, and the dead on all sides. Yeah. And Robert the Bruce seeing this and you can see his descent into hell. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's one of those those archetypal motifs that is just it, it, you know we see it in so many films you know whether it's the lion king or or whatever it, it's one of those things that this is that moment for him where he is really understanding the the true depth of one his his own depravity the the consequence of his actions but also the the, the consequences of um, who he's been following, the Scottish nobles, and na- particularly that of his father. Yeah, and this kind of fuels his new his encounter with the father, which is what comes up next. And I think this is really the turning point for Robert the Bruce, his confrontation here. Yes, and and this is really going to precipitate his interaction with with the father, where he tells him, basically, go to hell. Yeah, he's like, my my hate my hatred dies with you right well you know and this is one of those things of the father his father is saying good it's it's good you know how to hate yeah um because that's what's going to make you into a good ruler and it's the the implication there is it's going to make you into the to a strong leader like edward longshanks and and this is robert the bruce saying i don't want to be a ruler like longshanks yeah i hate that son of a gun you know and, and that's really what what that's kind of coming to is everybody can see that Edward the First is an absolutely despicable. Dis- well, but he's not just despicable, but he is effectual. He is incredibly powerful. But Robert the Bruce doesn't want it because it doesn't have honor. Right. And this... and that's what Wallace has taught right. Robert the Bruce. Right. And now uh, Robert the Bruce is on his revenge spree here you mean william wallace is on his revenge spree my bad misspoke <laughs> uh yeah no yeah william wallace on his revenge spree he uh busts up into mornay's place uh where while he's sleeping and just puts a, a flail to the face as a kid watching this this was like my favorite violent scene i was well, you don't kind of get to see the guy's head cave in and you're like all right we don't like him anymore <laughs> we don't like that guy anymore he betrayed william wallace right and and like i was i was pretty morbid as a kid but like this this is one of those things it was just like this um you know you have your ball and chain thing which is sort of more or less like the flail thing and it's not fully historically accurate and i don't care in this scene because it's, it's just cool. like it's it's straight up murder though but you can argue that this guy's responsible for the death of lots of scots who this is that's what william all's whole thing is that this battle is for the people right you know this sure. battle is bigger than him it's bigger than mornay and he kills him for it and they he escapes the lord's castle or whatever it is by him and his horse go diving into the water, and which goes into the thing of like animal are rights. Are you sure that wasn't a real horse? Because yeah. that thing looked like a real horse. Well, your your wife was like, that poor horse. Right. And I was like, but that's, it's fake. 
It's fake. I know because everybody talked about this, and it was such good. But that's what she's it saying. It was such good special effects. But she's saying the the entire movie, even when the horse gets speared in the Battle of Sterling earlier in the film, she's saying like, "Oh God, she's just thinking." Not in the movie, she knows they're fake, but like she's just thinking about how many innocent horses got murked when they had no choice in it in these kind of battles in real life well okay well then that should probably bring up the the idea that you know there were a lot of innocent people that would would have been caught up in in these sorts of things and the invasions and things like that which really is glossed over yeah and i think actually could have played a really interesting role because like for instance in the battle of falkirk um the the william wallace and his men they were he knew they were outnumbered but they basically kind of shadowed the English army, kind of harassed them and kind of tried to, to lead them, you know, where they hopefully wanted to go. But, um, you know, where they wanted to, to lead them, but they, they kind of did and kind of didn't. Right. But the idea is they were really trying to avoid a pitched battle, as is portrayed in the film, uh, because they weren't likely to win. Yeah. Because, you know, the Shiltrons are good against the cavalry but they weren't good against archers. And that's actually what, what happened in the battle is the archers really did them in. It's like playing Age of Empires. You can mm -hmm. make certain <laughs> certain right. uh, things that are good against the cavalry, but not good against, you know, so, whatever. But, 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 but well, one of the things with the thing with the, with the battle of Falkirk is they don't, they don't cover and they really could have covered and to vilify the English in reality was how they basically pillaged the Scots land for supplies as they they went through and you know one of the tactics and you you may have heard of like you know you know burnt you know burning i can't remember the term for it now but you would uh scorched earth you know sure. you would burn your own lands you'd burn your own farmlands and your own grain to deprive the invading army of supplies because that's how they 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 yeah they pillage you know, Right, they went through pillage and they went through through basically scavenging their their land. And there was actually a riot among the the Brit the English soldiers during uh, before right before the Battle of Falkirk, which was kind of laid to uh, rest with with the by the cavalry. But they were dealing with so much of that anyway. The the thing is, is they could have vilified the English soldiers even more on a on a certainly visceral scale but that didn't yeah they don't want they don't want you to hate the english soldiers i think not the soldiers themselves just um, the lords and the king and the prince. Well, i don't know at the at the beginning with with the attack of murren maybe but yeah you wanted to demonize those guys because that is the crux of the film you i don't know, know. i, I kind of see the whole the whole film being slightly okay very anti-english in some ways sure anyway we get a nice scene with uh robert the bruce who's you know supping with, uh, with the others one of the other scottish nobles and they're kind of like <laughs> who's next you know william wallace has killed uh mornay you. you know could be me could be you and uh he kind of robert the bruce kind of lashes out and loses his, loses his nerve here well i think he he really he knows it it should be him yeah in some regard because he knows he knows what he's done and he knows kind of where he's done You're what done. he's done he's got this kind of faustian uh thing where he's like you know this classic angel on one shoulder as being wallace and like his father on the other shoulder being uh the devil you know the demon or whatever 
you know, telling him which way is right and which way to go. Yeah, you got William and, Wallace and his uh, his dad. Right, and 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 the real, the of course, the devil being Edward Longshanks, and like Bruce knows, like you know, just like Doctor Faust, he knows who he's made a deal with. He knows he's made a deal with the devil, and he feels like he deserves what he gets. Yeah, he's kind of he's he's really at this point of uh, he's at the lowest point that he can possibly be. He's he's re- he's okay with dying because he feels like he deserves it. And Lachlan falls from the ceiling onto the table they eat at. And <laughs> it's kind of yeah, I mean it's kind of played up for humor kind of like the blood falls on the guy's food and it's yeah. I don't I don't see it as humor as much as like dark humor. How about that? Okay. I'll buy that. All right. So now we get a little montage of the legend of William Wallace. It's growing and he is still alive and well. He did not die of his wounds at uh, the battle of uh, Falkirk. Yeah. And this, and I know that this was actually filmed and with the intent of actually being earlier in the film when they made it. And I don't always like to talk about like the filmmakers like the making of bits because I want to, you know, address the story as presented. Yeah. But this does feel slightly out of place. Like I kind of would expect this to be more after Sterling rather than after Falkirk because Sterling was a notable defeat. Right. But Wallace doesn't appear to be untouchable anymore. Yeah. Well, we cut back to the King and he's kind of informed that Wallace is still alive and still gaining support in his rebellion. And now he wants to dispatch assassins. And uh, with the princess as the the ruse again, right? Uh, even the guy uh, who's named Hamilton, you know, kind of objects and like, well, she might be taken captive again. The king has no. This is kind of like the advisor yeah. of of the the princess, princess, or and, you know, her her chaperone type guy. The handmaiden of the princess is eavesdropping and. And I think in some ways between her and the, the in Princess Isabella, you you have kind of playing back to the hero's journey, you know, you have this intervention of the goddess. Mm-hmm. And I mean, shoot, if you look at Sophie Marceau, you you see uh, a very you see this goddess like kind of of figure how she's presented in the film. Yeah. She's she is always presented in a positive light there's no she might be somewhat naive at times but she covers it well um and of course she's absolutely beautiful um and so you have that kind of divine intervention that we see over and over again well not a few times where she warns wallace so we see that those tropes from the the hero's journey kind of play a role even though you know wallace has proved himself at sterling um, and we're dealing with the 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 whole Wallace's journey. Well, every hero you know, needs every hero needs a little help along the way, right? And that, and that's part of the hero's journey. Yeah. Is every hero needs that, and you know we have that unhealable wound with this betrayal of the Bruce at Falkirk, yeah, and and the and of course the nobles, um, and you know we've seen him be, we've of course seen the death of Murren, which is kind of this thing that kind of keeps it's feeling him yeah. and it's not healable and we we kind of see that he he tries to heal that but um we're, anyway, we're going to go so into that with this relationship they 
smell the ambush and the trap as the English wait for him as, you know, they're kind of uh, posing as the princess is inside waiting for him. Mm-hmm. And they push the, the the guards in, lock them in, and burn the little house they're in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of just alludes to the, the word of the princess's warning got to them, and they, they sniffed it out. Um, and now the princess and William Wallace meet here in this scene. And I'm kind of conflicted about their relationship in the film. On one hand, you want... The, uh, you want his love for Mern to be untainted and pure. And on the other, this kind of humanizes him. Like every man who has his wife murdered is going to move on at some point, you know, like it's right. just, this just human needs. And, and this is, but been he years. also, yeah, this he has also, really been years. He also feels he owes her a debt after her two warnings, you know, like just to even meet with her. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't see this whole, but he um, also dalliances as a transactional sort of thing. No, no, no. But he, and it shows that he's not, he's not perfect. You know, like I said, he's, he isn't a perfect man who, uh, you know, stays loyal to his dead wife after her death. But he's already stated that he, she reminds the princess reminds him of Murrin. And like, I see, he says earlier in their first meeting, I see her strength in you. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think any man would, you know, seek to fill a hole left by his murdered wife, especially by one that reminds him of his wife. Sure. In, in I, such in such a way, like the strength of and we do see the strength of Murr in, in, in her her fight back. Sure. And and like, I don't I don't love this sort of relationship that we have, but I don't likewise, I don't hate it either. Right. It's, it's one of those things that I could do without it. Like because, I said, I'm conflicted about it. Right. And and I don't know what to like it 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 doesn't make sense. And then of course it sets up the whole idea that that later on, spoiler, that she gets she's pregnant with Wallace's baby. Uh, we'll talk about that later. You know, but like it's it's kind of one of those things that you just you're just like, well uh, wh- why? Why? We'll talk about it later. Okay. All right. Well, the king is really sick now. It's like bedridden sick, kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, And the last of the major nobles is they they come over to minus Robert the Bruce, right? Minus Robert the Bruce, Um, and of course, again, we've we've conveniently left it down to one last noble guy because we don't need any more faces in this film to right. try to remember um in in historically you know it's like there were countless dudes that you had to try to get to your side uh, complicating things far more than than a film can handle um even a three-hour film and so the noble of course shows the um the the embroidered marriage rag kind of thing from, which was from, from yeah Aaron, wait, I, as the pledge of robert the bruce which he picked up when you know from the battle, battle of falkirk yeah, yeah. When they had their encounter so this thing has been you know came from murren to william wallace he drops it in his encounter with robert the bruce and the bruce picks it up and now it's getting you know he's like where'd you get that kind of thing he snatches it out of his hand right yeah and, and and you know like hamish and stephen know it's a trap hamish and and wallace have a good um a a really important 
thing, uh, uh, interaction here where, you know, Hamish said, uh, Hamish, like, you're doing this because you think she sees you referring to Marin. And he's like, I, I know she sees me and your father sees you too. And it, it's just this beautiful well, no, punch in the face. Yeah. No, it's, it is, it is beautiful because look, you know, best friends and brothers fight. You and I have had our own share of fist fights that in retrospect, you know, yeah. that it, it, it's shaped who we are and, and it is what it is. And, and now we're doing a people, podcast. You fight with people you love and you can, you feel comfortable enough. And, and, and this is, you know, I, I am not advocating for any kind of like domestic abuse. This is kind of a guy thing, but you know, it's, it's you like you, you hit your brother sometimes. Yeah. And, and that's how they kind of play this relationship is that they are, they are brothers. Right. Hamish has no brothers. William lost his brother. They've been together since young childhood. Exactly. Yeah. They, so, they are and they are brothers. And I, but don't, don't mistake, don't mistake what I'm saying. You know, it's like, you don't hit everybody you love, but, some people need a can, good smack on the you, face, you know, when between and it maybe it's stereotypical gender role stuff, but whatever two guys occasionally, especially in the time, in time of war or in immaturity, they're going to, they're going to get into it and it might get physical yeah. and then it's over. And yeah. now, and Steven wants to come with William says, no, this gives you the feeling like if it's a trap, I don't want to, put hamish and steven in position yeah this is this is this is plot stuff because but you need the movie to move along right but at the same time like why movie to move along yeah but why would i don't i time and time again i think that this william wants to save his people he's lost right. so many people already he doesn't want his friends to fall prey to a trap as well and this is not about him He's willing to give himself up for the greater cause uh, as long as his friends, you know. Well, this, this is the thing. This is actually what he says is, is, well, what will happen if we don't do this? Like, what will happen if we don't unite, get the clans united, get all of Scotland united behind the Bruce? And William says nothing. Nothing, yeah. Nothing will happen. And that's the point is that he wants to live. Yeah, he's he's not, you know, because because Hamish says, I don't want to be a martyr. And it's like, OK, and it's like, I don't want to me. I want to live. And that's that is really a, an important thing. And, it, and, it, and we've talked about humanizing. Uh, I'm going to say the Wallace. You want to humanize him into into William. It's like, I don't want to die. I want to have children. This has been his whole thing from the beginning. He wants to raise crops and have children, and, God and, willing. Right. And it's like he doesn't follow this whole idea of he never has wanted to be a hero. And you're right. You know, you talked about Robert the Bruce wanting to be the, being that reluctant hero. William Wallace is exactly the reluctant hero. Yeah, but it took, it, it took a, you know, a tragic loss to fuel it. Well, and that's almost always the case with with the hero's journey. There's some sort of tragedy yeah. uh, befalling someone yeah. that that precipitates it, and so you know you have you have this this thing where Wallace is kind of going to this thing he really should know is is not good. It's bad juju all the way, but 
For it's, some reason that is unbeknownst to us as the audience, he trusts Robert the Bruce, even after this betrayal. But Robert the Bruce doesn't know about this betrayal. No. Uh, so do we get a like an actual heartwarming hello, like a wave from, mm-hmm. from Robert the Bruce and uh, William? And Robert the Bruce, the English come in and start beating on Wallace and they're all like uniformed though which uh, they come out of nowhere but that's it's just like the the stormtrooper thing yeah I you need you to know be... that it's not the scots that are beating up their own guy um, essentially they are but you want it's like the fair enough you want you, the faceless troopers you want the stormtroopers or the the nazis or the um orcs you know like Okay. These are the bad guys. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the henchmen. And, cinematically, it yes. makes complete sense. Yes. You, you, it, it's for the audience purpose, you know? And uh, the Robert the Bruce is no, or he screams no, is, is so he's like heartbreaking. So he's so naive. He, well, he's so naive. It drives me crazy. Yeah. He, he's a little too trusting, but it's not him that's, it's not the other Scott, the other noble that sets it up. It's his father. Well, the other noble is in on it. Oh, for sure. But like that, and, and but we the, get all the, these the, tells of what's going on, and and then that kind of clues in William. But too but they, late, they they start beating as Robert the Bruce tries to stop it. They start beating on him, and he's like, "No, the Bruce is not to be harmed." That, you know, was, that the was the arrangement. That was the arrangement. You know, like this, this they Gosh, made I've this, seen this movie so many times. Like I can hear every line, right. like every time it's mentioned, right? And uh, this is where he calls his father a rotting bastard and tells him my hate will die with you. And, uh, right, right, yeah. right, right. So, uh, I guess I jumped the gun on that other part. Right. And, uh, that's, you know, now we're at William Wallace, who's been taken captive and imprisoned and basically we're, asked to, do you confess? And yeah, we're in the end nothing. game now. We're in the <laughs> end game. Ah, that's to quote another film. All right. And, uh, Wallace says nothing, and the guy says, well, on the morrow, he will receive his purification. Right. What and a this, word. What a word, the... Purification? Yeah, it's such a... Well, I mean, like... So it's torture. It's basically, it, he will receive his torture, and to right. call it purification is a little... Well, okay, so yes, he's going to die either way. There's no real... This is kind of a kangaroo court sort of thing, but it, it, there are witnesses, obviously, there. This is a magistrate. Um... And and the, so there's there is some uh, t- I would say nominal justification for some aspects of torture uh, back then, and like so for instance you know burning at the stake which which didn't happen to Wallace but the idea is it's slow painful death so you would have an ability to like they would do it for heretics so you had a, the ability to recant the heresy and repent. Um, at least at the last minute so you could get right with God. Yeah. Um, and so the idea, I guess, behind the torture is like you could still, um, you know, say you're sorry and, and do these things. But also it was done as a deterrent to say, look at what happens to traitors and um, how horrible betrayal is. You know, this is this is the worst thing you can do. And so this is how we're going to treat people who do the worst things you could possibly do 
here we get the princess. She's visiting Wallace's cell, and she's kind of like she's kind of a badass with the guards here. She's like, the king will be dead in a month, and his son is a weakling. Who do you think will rule this kingdom? And this actually like is a nod to the history because yeah. because she does uh, as queen. She well, she and her lover do eventually assassinate uh, the uh, King Edward the Second, who basically if if the the history is to be believed basically put a pipe up his rear and then poured molten metal in it like what the frick yeah well this is a very brutal time but also it has to do with the idea of um probably his homosexuality like so yeah you know that's not it's not uh it's it's really brutal and really if you think about it quite disgusting and horrible um about how how she she eventually kills him um and like but that's much later of course and never addressed in the movie but this is really a nod to it there where she how how she's dealing with the guards because she is she is a badass she's later like she is she is not about any sort of being coy and being ladylike kind of thing right that's not what she's about so the princess uh she gains access to the prisoner and she begs him begs him to swear fealty so he may live and we get the line of this of the the movie you know like everybody wants to talk about the freedom and his speech but this is this is the, the line that really hits home for me it's every man dies not every man really lives well, that's the tagline of the film. So, yeah. in a way, yeah. Well, no, I believe it was used as the tagline of the film, uh, you know, like on on movie posters and 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 then promotional material. But the thing is, well, is I thought it, that was the the more of the the one his father says, the one with the a story with a man with a free soul and the courage to follow it. I thought I that think, was the, one of the taglines as well. It made, well, both no, I probably, but. You know, well, taglines are uh, notoriously bad. So this one, if this was the tagline, then this is that's a pretty good tagline. Well, yeah, and I think this movie is eminently quotable. Oh, absolutely! So many quotes, quotable scenes, so much quotable dialogue, so much quotable back and forth between characters. Like we've we've not uh, we've tried to kind of zoom through the movie, and I know I mean, it's, it's three hours. Right, it's, it's a three-hour movie, and it's it's a movie that's really 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 well done in a lot of ways despite you know any kind of historical misgivings we might have or whatever there's no denying that this is a cinematic masterpiece and and the academy awards kind of yeah uh highlight that but you know this this film not every man dies every man dies not every man really lives and this is just such a powerful scene this 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 one line really lets us know that he's okay with dying and he always has been especially for a cause such as such as the freedom of his people and of scotland well and and we can't forget the fact that murren his wife is dead and, yeah. and he desires to be with her so the idea you know we know that he wants to live but we also know that he has not at any point feared feared dying like you said but you know she the princess offers him this thing to kind of dull his wits. Um, yeah. So the princess offers this thing and then um, 
he finally he takes it and then they share a kiss and then he spits it out. Right. And, and this is this is um he doesn't want he doesn't want his wits to be dull, which is kind of a theme throughout the whole thing with using your wits versus your brawn. And it starts with uh, his uncle Argyle at the beginning of the film. Or right. no, it starts with his father at the beginning of the film when his father goes off and his kid, he's like, I can fight. And he said, I know you can, but you got to learn to use this. And he like kind of bumps him in the head before you can use this and shows him the sword. And, and you, you're right. And this is one of the things that like, this is not, he is not a Beowulf hero who is like Beowulf later, you know, gets into that noble character sort of thing. But he's like, I'm going to tear the, the monster's arm off with my bare hands because he doesn't fight with swords. I won't fight with swords. Yeah. Um, but no, Wallace is all about he's, he's more of the Odysseus type of epic hero in that I am going to be crafty. I'm going to be cunning. I'm going to fight. And I'm going to use my head to do it. Right. So she feels there her, you know, her beg begging for him to try to get his life saved or whatever. But it's fruitless. And he goes. Uh, right. Because, she well, goes, because Edward Longshanks is now incapable of speech. She goes to beg for the, the dying king for Wallace's life. Right. And. <laughs> The prince kind of scoffs at him, like, I can't believe she's doing this. You've really <laughs> you're, you're, been taken with him. You're quite you? taken with him, aren't you? Yeah. I respect him and respect what he stands for, kind of thing. And that's kind of the, the thing of uh, that we see in this is that even if you hate Wallace, and she kind of mentions this, is uh, even if, you, if you're on the opposing side, at least he is a, he's a noble adversary. Yeah. That's, that's what she says. But he, the, Edward Longshanks at this point is uh, in in the film anyway is un- incapable of speech, so he can't rescind any orders that he's given. Right, and she leans over. She's pissed, obviously, but she leans over and tells him that a baby of not his line grows in her belly, and this kind of insinuates that Wallace is the father. I don't this, like this. This doesn't at all. happen, but it's an interesting creative choice. That I don't says, like it. Well, this I know you don't like it, but let me talk. That the, this kind of just says that the evil is going to die here. You know the, that the baby of France and Scotland will actually rule England instead of the actual line of uh, Longshanks. And this okay, gives, you just convinced this, me. This this kind of gives us an audience some sort of comfort in this whole mess. That like, oh, you know what I mean. Okay, I think the way you phrased it convinces me that is a, it is a good cinematic choice. Yes! Success! <laughs> Which, he, he doesn't always feel like he can convince me of very much. But um, this is really actually... Okay, I'll buy that because what we have then is really a... in an odd sort of way considering that you have like this this baby this potential baby being born but with when we see christ like sort of sacrifice of william wallace because they literally put him on a cross twice they put him on a cross twice almost uh well well one they they put him on a a cross on the ground to like disembowel him yeah after uh, the the secondary part where they literally put him on on a cross a wooden cross yeah uh the other when they rack him yeah um 
and 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 so you know his arms outstretched his feet are together which i think is very important instead of feet to part uh, a feet apart right um you know you have this idea of, of a christ-like figure um defeating evil the seed of evil and so therefore i am totally with it and also this goes with the uh History. hero hero's journey thing with the the quote-unquote apotheosis of the hero where um you know the hero becomes sort of deified in some semblance um and of course we kind of see this with the legend growing scene uh montage where you know wallace is running across the mountains and yeah. everything but also um you know after this but with with them literally putting william wallace on a cross at the end and of course this is pre uh passion of the christ uh mel, mel gibson but we all know we all know mel gibson's um religious tra- views well, yeah. his, well his traditionalist uh catholic bent um you know in, in his his worldview so i think that's certainly done with intention right um and and i i, I see no no issue with it because it's it's certainly it fits in with the whole hero's journey aspect of this um so so now you know like i said like we were talking about this is the execution scene he's rolled in on a cross yeah his arms outstretched and stephen and hamish are hooded figures among the crowd here watching as their dear friend and leader is going to be tortured and subsequently killed yeah i i appreciate Uh, the fact that they thought to put them there yeah the the camera focuses in here on an innocent boy in the crowd as wallace looks at him stares at him stares him down and i think it's anchoring uh in part because you know you want to focus on something that something or someone that's innocent that's not taking part in this that you need some sort of purity to to anchor yourself to and it really to me it kind of it it harkens back to the beginning at his father and brother's funeral where uh murren as a child gives him the thistle yeah and um you know there's that that level of childlike purity that that this represents yeah this scene's always hard to watch i mean i can't believe i watched it as a five-year-old but it's not actually that graphic no i although i heard like early versions of the film were far more graphic right and um, longer in and longer but also like the what they actually did historically to william wallace was way worse was far worse far more graphic and i don't know how like he so instead of being drawn in on a cart where everybody gets to throw vegetables at him um instead they have uh they they dragged him behind a horse and so think about that on cobblestones um being dragged by your feet on a horse like i don't know how you you would be it's just it the the idea of what they did was absolutely brutal yeah um but but really like you know when when they bring him up uh, in front of the magistrate in general one of because there's a lot of uh historical speculation with the things of wallace uh, all about wallace really but one of the things that's fairly well known is is you know he kind of says in all my life i didn't never did i swear allegiance to to him right um you know he says something very similar as recorded you know it's like i can't be guilty of 
uh, treason because right. he's not my king. Right. Um, something something along those lines because yeah, you know, and and that's kind of the, the point. You know, it's like this, and if if Edward Longshanks kind of is the is our devil, and you know, William Wallace is kind of our, our Christ-like figure. I mean, that makes a lot of difference. And, and your, your suggestion that the, the unborn baby in princess Isabella's uh, womb is, is of William Wallace and not Edward the second, you know, the, the idea the uh, evil dies with Edward the second. Right. Of course we know historically Edward the third was no friend of Scotland. Right. Um, but he was actually, he was uh, rather brave and uh, definitely a, a um, worthy military leader. So for sure, but not a friend of Scotland. Uh, so he's stretched, uh, which apparently racked. Yeah. Well, they said stretch him, and he they oh. hang him by the neck, which apparently gotcha. Mel Gibson and actually did mm. and passed out. You know. Yeah. Wow. Like that's dedication right there. And there's almost no way that happens in real life. But I think, I mean, no way that happens if they filmed it today. They don't put their act. I mean, maybe Tom Cruise does it, but <laughs> he does. He's notable for doing all his stunts, and. uh he still has the marriage rag that Murin gave him. He still yeah, has that, that clasp. Like hand fasting type of they, thing. They, they, he still has that clasp in his hands. Mm-hmm. And they start to disembowel him. And it's just hard to watch. Uh, but it's not graphic. It's not graphic. But, but I think if but, they filmed it today, it would be more graphic. Yeah. Mel, Gip- well, Mel Gibson did such a good job, I think, with the acting in pain. Like, I, I believe something is happening that is on like it's not like normal pain that you would ever like feel right and survive it so it's like his his acting is such that you're kind of going like whoa what what, what's he feeling right now it's so interesting to see this the death of william wallace is so not graphic but then when he does the passion of the christ the the death of jesus is so brutal he goes all in uh well i think part of it has to do what for one the early i think the early edits of of braveheart it was more graphic but we'd already seen a lot yeah and so the end this is the end and we don't i mean we've already seen a lot of of graphic violence and so this is it we need a bit of a reprieve and I think the acting carries but it, enough. But it's not just him. It's all the, the people in the crowd. Every, everybody's like so visibly upset of what they're watching happen to him. But they're calling out for mercy. And Stephen and Hamish are going like, oh, like, Jesus, just call like call out for mercy, William. Right. Like, call it like say it. I and his words here are not mercy. They mm-hmm. are the iconic. Freedom. Which I don't know that you could really shout if you were disemboweled, but I love it anyway. But it's still it, that it makes it even more powerful is that he's able to get this out while it, it he lets it ring out and everyone hears it. Right. The king hears it and he he's wide eyed and the, the princess hears it and she's got tears running down her face and he, then he, and then we see cinematically no no I think it kills 
Edward Longshanks in the yeah, film. Yeah. He's he his one solace says that Edward II was to know that William Wallace was dead. And he sees Mern in the crowd smiling at him. Right. And you you're immediately just like, I mean, I have it now, just talking about it. The tears mm-hmm. are building up in my eyes. You're like, this is what this film this is what jump started the entire thing is the death of his beloved and this is gives us as viewers comfort that he gets to be with his his his, uh wife again and this is a you know it's one of those things that killing off your main character at the end of your film is always very very challenging in that you know you're you're dealing with it's you want to make the audience happy yeah you know but you also want to move them move yes move them have them feel um as though something real occurred and the the fact of the matter is is you can't end this film with william wallace not dying because he died yeah and as fast and loose as they've played with the history yeah you can't have him not die because he is a martyr mm-hmm. um he didn't want to be a martyr as at least the character didn't and i don't i don't think the the real william wallace wanted to be either there was no there's no evidence that he did and yeah so he sees murin in the crowd and he is subsequently beheaded and as he dies he lets his hand loose and out drops the sort of embroidered thistle marriage rag that was given to him by his wife. <sighs> Moving stuff. Yeah. And, and it's not over. Here we're on the fields, the battlefield again, and uh, you get a narration of Robert the Bruce right. saying what happened to William Wallace. You know, he was, his head was put on London Bridge, his heart was torn out and put somewhere else. And Right. He was drawn and quartered, which is he was torn up, torn to pieces, is what they they right. say. Thankfully, not shown. You know, drawn and quartered, you you would have been disemboweled, which they kind of they they hint at. Yeah. Um, and then you're beheaded, and then you're quartered. That is your your upper torso split in two, and your bottom half is split in two, and then they put it four quarters of of Britain. Um, and yeah. it's it's brutal and grotesque and you know that it robert the bruce in the film is saying it didn't have the the effect that edward the first wanted which kind of indicates that maybe he didn't die in the film but then you kind of go but a lot of times it's it's edward you know when they refer to to king edward it's like is it edward the first or edward the second because during the battle of bannockburn Edward the first is dead and we have Edward the second as leader, although we don't see him on the battlefield. Right. So then we get, uh, his narration leads us to what setting the scene sort of is saying that you know, like now we are set on Bannockburn to, uh, for Robert the Bruce to be basically accepted as the King of Scotland and to swear fealty to King Edward. He's does. I think he says King Edward the first. So maybe he's not dead yet. Um, but I could be wrong. And he, we get the, the King's men kind of a playful back and forth. It's like, I hope you've washed your arse today. 
is about to be kissed by a king. And uh, then we get the turn of Robert the Bruce, and he says... Because he's with the noble, and they're going to go negotiate again. Or well, he, he intends he, to. Well, he, well, it's not... It's This is it. He's supposed to endorse the king. He's supposed to swear fealty to the English king. Right. And that's what they're going to do. And then he changes his mind. And I think his mind has been made up for a while now. He turns and he says, um, you have bled with Wallace. And then he takes his sword out. He says, now bleed with me. And this is an abbreviated version of a, of a Robert Burns poem with yeah. uh, in, in later song, um, Scots with hey, you know, Scots with whom Wallace led. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, oh, no, it's, it's, you know, whatever. But the, the thing is, is that the, the, the film kind of pays a little bit of homage to that. But it's 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 really trying to set up Bruce as being the hero. But again, I feel like Robert the Bruce is kind of a weak link in that he still seems not so much reluctant, but so unsure of himself. Whereas William Wallace throughout this whole film has felt sure of himself. Maybe, but... Hamish draws the hero's weapon here. Sure, yeah, he gets that two-handed from his back. Anymore. You know, from the it's strapped to his back. He draws it out and he throws it, and there's this big epic scene. And the whole time, I'm now I'm watching it. And I'm like, what if it just didn't land in the dirt? It just lands like not stuck right. in the dirt. It lands. It's a cruciform sword. It's yeah. not like a classic claymore, which has those upswept tail, uh, yeah. up, upswelt uh, quill, quillins. Or a cross guard. Yeah. Um, and, and it's got this, you know, the way it lands is it's, you know, it's kind of canted to one side, but it's, you know, it's a cross. I think this idea of William Wallace being a Christ-like figure is, um, is it's more highlighted at the end. And, and just because, you know, it's not like trying to really deify William Wallace, um, in a kind of an idolatrous way or whatever you would say. But, you know, there, there are a lot of, of Christ like figures that, it's, and this, I mean, this really allegory. does that. It's yeah. an allegory in some, in but some respect. You talk about the sword. I think the sword landing the way it does is so important. I mean, it's the symbol mm -hmm. and it is the hero's weapon that we have come to know throughout the film. But even like I popped in the Blu-ray to watch it, you know, to, that's the loading screen. It's just the sword silhouette in red. The mm. sword is red, and it's just the silhouette adds the little, you know, the little tartan right. flap in the wind. But, and now we get Robert the Bruce again, finishing out his narration, saying, uh, well, they start chanting Wallace, really. Right. They all start chanting Wallace, and uh, they charge forward, and we get... Robert the Bruce's closing narration, and they they fought like warrior poets. They fought like Scotsmen and won their freedom, right? Which, and, from we know, does not last. You know, no. <clears throat> and I think that you know this is a, it. Really highlights the whole idea of of freedom being uh, their motivating cause for the whole thing. It, it's definitely like an American sort of a thing. Uh, and, and 
you know, they did want to be free from English tyranny. But the thing is, is who did it that primarily affect? And it was primarily Scottish nobility um, with, with the fealty and things that they were requiring and the taxes and things that Edward wanted for his uh, battles with France and things like that. And so there are a lot of, there's so much complexity to this whole thing. Cause like, for instance, after Falkirk, you know, Wallace probably spent a lot of time in France trying to treat with uh, King Philip to, you know, start up something to again, fight against the British. Again, we can't tell every bit of history in a three hour movie. No. And three can't. hour movies are, you know, few and far between nowadays because a lot of the audiences don't sit through them or they can't, you know, mm-hmm. or they have to go to the bathroom and they miss, miss parts and you and theaters don't like them because they're, they can't sell as many tickets throughout the day. So that's true. And you know, it's also one of those things of like, uh, with old, uh, there was, I think it was Spurgeon, you know, the old theologian preacher. I can't remember who actually said it, but maybe him, you know, it's like the spirit can only endure what the butt or the spirit can only receive what the butt can endure referring to like preaching and then don't preach too long. Yeah. Um, the same thing actually is it goes with movies. Right. Um, I think three hours is about the limit. Um, I will watch, you know, Lord of the Rings extended editions. Back to back like. to back. I don't know. I'll watch them back to back. My butt can't endure that. Well, that's why you got to lay down a little bit. But yeah, anyway, but, you know, the, but the thing is, is that this film is basically as long as it can be. Yeah. Um, and this was, of course, before the, the time of, oh, well, we'll, we'll do we'll make two parters, you know, because we'll get more money. Um, we'll make two two-hour movies yeah and, and we'll get we'll get more money or two two and a half hour movies or three two-hour movies you know do do peter jackson uh with the hobbit um which didn't need to be no three movies and one three-hour movie would have been fine but this is the end of braveheart right and uh if you don't if you didn't cry at least once in this movie i don't uh, i question <laughs> your your humanity but Nah. This is probably one of the most popular films of all time. There, there's so many people, myself included, that when asked, what is your favorite film, you go Braveheart. So many people say Braveheart. I did for a long time. But, and then but, I lost I lost some, some, some love for this film the more I read history. Yeah, but this is, like I, we've touched on it the entire podcast, is that this is not a historical accurate film no and yes william Wallace lived but this is more akin to the legend of robin the bloxley or king arthur which nobody up until this point nobody had told the legend of william wallace true or true. robert the bruce for that matter and i think though in some ways and maybe it's part of the the frustration i have with this film is one of of how it it portrays Robert the Bruce, which I'm glad to see movies like Out- the Outlaw King yeah. come in to kind of redeem Robert the Bruce in some form or fashion. But the the thing is, is this movie is so iconic, so well done, mm-hmm. so beautiful in so many different ways that I don't know that we're going to see another William Wallace movie for a long time. Yeah. I don't it, in a world of reboots and 
telling stories over and over and over again. Like, how many Robin Hoods do we have? How many King Arthur movies do we have? A lot. Yeah. And I would love to talk about one certain Robin Hood movie. I know maybe we can contrast Robin Hood Prince of Thieves with the That's... Disney film. Uh, Wait, we're not going to do Men in Tights? Well, probably. But anyway, this movie is so well done as compared to all those that you probably won't, like you said, won't see another William Wallace film ever i don't know i mean because it's, it's just going to be been, com- it's just going to be compared to this which is such an epic and well done it's film. been 25 years i would be interested to see another treatment um but and, and one that maybe takes a more historical approach because it's been this one is is the romanticized version i and think that's, maybe that's fine i think maybe what would be better is Series. Film, a fi- maybe a series, but a film about the making of this film. Like I know that they're <laughs> uh, they're doing a film o- about the making of the Godfather, but or a documentary type type film that shows the making of Braveheart and also the actual history of William Wallace and Robert the Bruce and I, what I think goes on to happen. I, I would prefer to have either a, a limited series or some sort of thing. Yeah, but uh, you can't tell all that everything has to be completely truthful because nothing, not everything in history no, you know, adapts no, no, to no. the screen like that. So no, certainly not. But I think if you want historically accurate things, maybe a documentary would be better suited for this, but a documentary that also covers the making of this film and why they changed it and why they... Because Mel Gibson has come out and said that this was hugely fictitious mm-hmm. but he the changes were made because it made a better movie right and sure Here's, and this is a good movie no, it's an outstanding movie it's one it of the is. best movies of all time it is and 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 here's here's part of the thing is one it follows a, a hero's journey formula and i think that that automatically sets you up to have a story that's imminently relatable yeah but here's one of the other things and i think this is why i look at it and kind of go well you know history 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 and, and people get can get frustrated with me or not. I don't really care because they're my views and they're important to me. But I find the history so interesting. And I don't have a problem with nuance and complexity. But it does create a problem when you're dealing with a, a single standalone film. Yeah. And I agree that, you know, a lot of the things can't be taken uh, you know, all, all the complexity can't be taken and put into an, even a three-hour film. Sure, I grant you that. But the history is so interesting and there's so many more characters that could have been portrayed that are not portrayed. Yeah, And I think that's one reason why I, in, I, I pray for the series, a series treatment of the Scottish Wars of Independence with William Wallace, with Robert the Bruce, um, as your, like, passing of the torch sort of of men. Yeah. And even to uh, Jamie Douglas after Robert the, Robert the Bruce's death. Um, I, think, I think those characters, those real figures of history, have a lot to offer. Um, Netflix, get on it. You already showed us that you've... Or Amazon Prime. I don't care who does it. I think all Amazon's money has gone into the Lord of the Rings series. So, Well, I will wait until after the Lord of the Rings series is done until they can put 
real money behind this sort of thing and not try to low budget, low ball this because it, I think Our, it's a it's a it's an amazing story that should be told. And as someone who has HBO really, Max, you'd be good good for HBO Max as well. Someone who has a vested interest in in Scottish history and culture, like I do, like we do, yeah. Um, I think I think that that has it's important for for us you know, to see, and, and it certainly we will admit our bias. I think we, we stated that up front. Um, and so I really want, I want to see this happen. And I think really what, what it would do is really give a resurgence to interest in people's own heritage. And I think that's really kind of an important thing. Yeah. And I, like I said earlier in the, in the, in the podcast, we, the, this movie did jumpstart a lot of tourism to Scotland Sure. And uh, this movie has inspired, I think, this is the return of the epic, the epic film. Right. And, you know, I think three three years later, we get Gladiator, which is kind of the return of the epic sword and sandals. But I think since these two, we haven't really got historical fictionized uh, epic films. Braveheart, I mean, because back in the day, you got Lawrence of Arabia, Ben-Hur. Sure. And now in the 90s, we got Gladiator and Braveheart, and we really haven't gotten a good one since. Braveheart really um, inspired me to, like, create my own stories. And so, like, I'm I'm writing a novel now. I'm in the midst of it, and I know you are as well. And, of course, our novels are are very different. Mine's of the fantasy genre. and Yours is more akin to this, while mine is more akin to... 28 days later, which is right. something we talked about previously. Right. And so, you know, the idea of, of this being kind of transformational, you know, a film for both of us, one, it, this is like almost your introduction into film in some ways. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry for you <laughs> uh, because like, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to beat this. Yeah. But um, you know, there, there are films that, that have some, you know, they, they can stand up to it, of course, but like I go yeah. back and forth. It's like people ask me, what's your favorite film of all time? I say Graveheart or it's a Saving Private Ryan, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the uh, coming weeks. More, more soonish than later. Yeah, yeah, because it, it is a movie that has stuck with me for so long, like this one. And I mean, quotable, check, score, check, acting, check. This thing checks comedy, check. I mean, this thing, romance, check. This thing cuts, yeah. ch- checks all the boxes, and it's done so well. It Historically inaccurate, I think it's forgivable because of how well done this movie is. Well, so one of the things of, now coming at this from somebody who's active in, you know, Scottish heritage community, yeah. let's say. So, you know, I own kilts. I... I'm a, I'm a, I'm an officer in our local Caledonian society. Like I have been for a long time. Yeah. Um, so like one of the things is it, it, and you see a lot of folks who want to dress up like they did in the movie and wear blue face paint and things like that. And you're like, okay, well that's not actually your heritage. That's, that's Hollywood, you know, liberties that they took. And so, you know, that kind of shades some of my opinions on it. I mean, it's it, cosplay. 
Yeah, and you're cosplaying it, as the William Wallace ca- legend character. Right. Like they didn't wear kilts back then. Right, they did not. They didn't they wear been, they the did, English and the, and the Scottish would have been dressed very much the same. And then the the there were no bagpipes like Scottish bagpipes back then. That I mean, but for this movie was made attested. for a his made for a U, United States audience, an American audience. Sure. That, when you go to someone who of not Scottish heritage, you say, what do you think? You put a microphone in their face. You say, what do you think when you hear Scotland? They say, freedom. No, before this, <laughs> they would say, before this, they would say bagpipes and kilts. Sure. I mean, a lot of them still do, but yeah. But bagpipes now... and kilts. That is, that is what we're known for. And then there maybe you might get an outlier that says bagpipe, kilts, and haggis. But... <laughs> the, this movie, if you didn't have kilts and you didn't have bagpipes, at least in the score for this film, you're already losing people. I think they're like they're sure. gonna they're gonna be like scratching their heads, going like, "Where are the kilts? Where and are the things?" Like, you know, it's interesting because I know we 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 had the um, I say we, but there was the the vote, uh, the referendum on Scottish, you know, nationalism, like whether or not Scotland would be independent of yeah. England and and uh, you know. England and Wales is, you know, the United Kingdom. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it ended up being that they, they voted to not. But the concept is, you know, how much did Braveheart have an effect on Scottish nationalism? And that's a that's another kind of interesting yeah. discussion on um, how powerful films can be. And I think really, though, this film happening in, in 1995, and I think the the nationalist debate happened in 2014 2015 um so like or the referendum anyway and and you know it's interesting to see because we we saw it's one of the things that really attests to the power of film yeah you know you can talk about tourism and things like that and i remember you know going to uh scotland after brave and brave was one of those things that that really was the Scots heavily promoted to do tourism mm-hmm. um, because it, it, I mean, it obviously benefits them. They're, they're a relatively small country and um, you know, they're, they are known for a few things. And I mean, I would totally encourage people to go there because it's yeah. absolutely beautiful. It's not one of those places where you have to like look for the pretty spots it's everywhere is beautiful. Everywhere is, is it's worth going to. Except maybe Edinburgh, which is highly in, industrialized, right? No, actually, it's not. I think you're thinking more of Glasgow. Glasgow, sorry. But Glasgow's architecture is beautiful. Sure. It's absolutely. But, but Edinburgh, Ed, and that's one of the things with Edinburgh. It's got such interesting landscape with the, the film. They should, and, and I think they would do it now, but Edinburgh Castle, which is kind of what the idea of what you're supposed to be at and that scene where wallace is betrayed yeah it's built up on a like a huge rock yeah like this mountain like castles were not just like sitting on the edge of nothing in the middle of a field they're like built up on things to be naturally defensive right but we talk about the tourism people went to scotland but most of this was actually filmed in ireland true so because it's less built up you can have them running through the highlands and you know whatever but i think i think some of like the landscape shots are probably from scotland but a lot of it was you know a lot of the like the the open fields and stuff was definitely ireland 
All right. So, Jamie, you said earlier in the podcast that you kind of have a love-hate relationship with this film because of its historical inaccuracies. But after talking it out with me, do you still love this film? I love it. I I have problems with it. And, and like, I can't watch it and not throw my hands up at some points um, because... I am a history buff like that. And that's not really going to change about me. But I also, I think part of it is like, I, I saw this movie and accepted it as complete history to, to start with. And then I was kind of, I kind of felt betrayed <laughs> like it was Robert the Bruce. It's, it told me something I couldn't trust. And, um, and, and the, but it's abs an absolute masterpiece. And so it's like I agreed. I have so many, so many things. I think there's so many things to love about it, and yet there's so much that I I love about the the history that is is known and is understood yeah. about this period of the wars of Scottish independence, and also like I have issues as being someone involved in the. Scottish American community, the, the, the Scottish heritage um, community where, you know, I see people who do accept this as true history. And it's kind of, to me, it's like, don't, I guess it's not really a fault of the movie as it is a fault of, of other people who accept the movie as being real. Right. Well, I think, on my side, I mean, obviously, I love this movie. Um, I understand where you're coming from, but I think this is, like I said earlier, more of a legend. And they've romanticized this character of William Wallace. Sure. And, uh, yeah. So, I think we've kind of shared our final thoughts, and I think that's going to be a wrap on the film Braveheart, which I think we might revisit it one day to talk about more history versus myth just have a debate maybe, i don't but I, I don't know maybe i feel like i want to get less into the history and maybe talk more about the themes and and yeah. the the maybe the possible allegorical elements of it so i think there's definitely a lot of room to revisit this film uh way down the line um and and really coming back to the film here is it's one of those things of the, again this was my favorite film for a probably the majority of my life. And then I came to have some, some level of not appreciation for it. I, you know, I can't, I don't think disappreciation is a word, but the, you know, I loved it and then I didn't like it, but it wasn't really on the merit of the movie that I didn't like it. It was on other, it was on the merits of, things I was seeing exterior to the movie that bothered yeah. me so much. And so, I mean, that that's always a thing, but I, I feel like I can't really fault the film for those things so much. Yeah. All right. Well, like I said, that's a wrap on Braveheart. And of course, let us know what you guys think about this movie. Uh, of course, I love it personally. Hit us up on any of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and let us know what you guys think. We would love to communicate with uh, our listeners here.
Jamie, go ahead and sign us out. All right. Well, this has been the Cine Siblings podcast. I'm Ian. I'm James. Until next time, go watch a new movie or catch an old one. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Cine Siblings podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cine Siblings Pod. Check, check. Check, check. We are going to do Braveheart. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, yeah. Let's do some Braveheart. Braveheart? Braveheart. Brave fart.